Good afternoon, Matthew. Uh, thanks for having me on the uh, the show today. My name is Robin Birchall. I'm the CEO, CEO of Giani Metals. My background has been in the natural resources uh, extractive sector since about 1999. Uh, I was in investment banking for about 12, 13, 14 years, and subsequently went over to a buy side company where I was placed uh, in on a number of boards and uh, built a mine. Uh, very shortly before I joined this, I'd stepped off the board and uh, I, I had a one of those kind of chance encounters at dinner uh, and the, the original founders of this company asked me, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm looking for another CEO position. And they said, well, we need a CEO. And that was back in November of uh, 2000, October, November of 2017. And we've taken the company from relatively early stage. It's not really greenfield exploration, but effectively greenfield exploration all the way through to almost complete with the feasibility now. So yeah, we're progressing quite nicely. Great. Um, Robin, look, thanks for coming on and we'll let people know. We, we have had a couple of other attempts to try and connect, but internet has not been our friend. Um, so I appreciate making the effort and coming uh, on to you know, run, run through the story. So, okay, manganese. Need to understand that market first. We need to understand what we're the, the thesis for it, and you know what you know what the future holds. So, can you just give us a little background about broadly manganese uses applications, and then the market as it stands today? So, look, the best way to think about it is like nickel, okay, or even cobalt. They're really steel inputs, right? They're for making steel and doing special things for steel for special applications of steel, be it buildings or whatever. And, and all three of the metals, uh, nickel, cobalt, and manganese, pretty much have that similar kind of application. Uh, that side of the market, you can completely ignore. Where in the other side, uh, which is the chemical side, which is you know the same as nickel and cobalt, nickel sulfate, uh, uh, cobalt sulfate, um, you can also think about lithium, the lithium hydroxides and, and, and other chemical products. These are products that go into the battery manufacturing process. And I just give you a very simple explanation that so they mix these in a solution into a reactor, uh, they calcine them, it turns into a black powder, which is a that's the black box, the nano ones, and you know the BSFs. So that that's the 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 IP, and that stuff is then printed like on a, you know like a laser printer onto a sheet of aluminum, uh, or maybe sometimes bound with uh, with silicon, and that's a cathode. So we're in, we're in that side of the market. Uh, that side of the market is very new um, for all three of us, all four of us. Uh, it has been growing considerably in the last two or three years. Prior to that, it was a bit of a hobby market, if you want to call it that, or, uh, you know, like a um, uh, just a village type uh, exercise. And what that means is that the battery manufacturers used to make their own uh, cathode active material. They would make their own manganese sulfate because it was a relatively small niche part of their business. It was for hand tools and rechargeable hand tools and toothbrushes and, and things like this. Now with this, it's really an industrial process now with the original equipment manufacturers, the, you know, the car companies, they want to, they want to separate out and specialize in what they're good at, which is making the cathodes and making the batteries. And they want to leave the production of the chemicals to us. And, you know, there's about a handful of us who are doing it. And it's, a, it's exactly the same in nickel and exactly the same in, in cobalt. So it is quite an opaque market in terms of pricing. It's quite hard to find, but you can look uh, at some pricing around the world. The Shanghai metal market does have some pricing, but it's very China specific. Uh, to find the European and North American prices, we would direct you to 
This, we use the, the industry standard guides that are used by a number of us, uh, which is CPM. Uh, you can look at their their pricing uh, and, and their forecast going forwards. And and like the other ones, it's it's pretty favorable. Okay, so right, so similar to um, nickel, nickel cobalt when it's on that market. Well, um, so talk to me about the, the size of the opportunity for you because you, I think you referenced in your, your presentation that there's only one company outside of China that produces the high purity um, manganese sodium uh, monohydrate. You would be the second. So does that mean there's a kind of bifurcation in the market, given the uh, uh, um, the kind of opaqueness of, of, of pricing? You know, and you know what's the opportunity in front of you? Okay, so yeah, so maybe a little bit clearer. So there. There's a couple of companies that, that um, make the MSM, uh, the high-purity MSM, but they they don't control their own ore resources. They buy ore from other places and make it. So the, the Japanese do that. It's kind of like they're, they they outhouse their in-house uh, um, or they outsource their in-house business. They spun it off and put it somewhere, and then it could sell to a number of the Japanese companies as a source. So that's a small one. Uh, and then you have... Um, you basically, you have uh, um, uh, the spin-out, which is owned by Prince now, of the old Aramet chemical business. So about 10 years ago now, they bought uh, Aerochem, and they also make um, uh, the, the MSM. They used to own, because, you know, Aramet is a big manganese, which they used to own their own ore, but when they got into trouble with some de- uh, debt covenants, Prince, which is a very private U.S. company, chemicals company, specialist chem- chemicals company, bought them. And so they no longer own their own ore resource. Now, there's a new generation. There's about three or four, maybe five of us who are, are coming down the track uh, at various stages of development. I would say ourselves and one other are the most advanced. And the, and the opportunity is pretty significant, considering if you look carefully at the way the market is going, it, it, you know, I, I noticed it now uh, traveling around uh, in, in Europe uh, by, by car. The, the market is starting to mature, which means not every electric vehicle is a Tesla, um, you know, a 90,000 uh, pound car, whatever it is. You're starting to see lots more Renault Zoe's and uh, Hyundai Ionics and, and, and these kind of vehicles, the mass market, uh, which Volkswagen and, um, you know, uh, Fiat Chrysler, et cetera, are going towards they're looking at a they're looking at higher nickel higher manganese because it's cheaper and as you know as you know like the the really interesting or important thing about that benchmark of maybe 100 110 dollars a kilowatt hours you can just multiply that by your battery and and just like the way we think about vehicles now which is are you driving a 5 liter v8 you know you're going to say well i'm driving a 55 or a 45 or a 90 and that's going to be the number of kilowatt hours and you multiply that by 100 dollars that's how much your battery pack costs effectively. And then you can compare that to what the cost of the vehicle is, right? So as they can drive that $100 lower, it means that they can fill into the mass market space, which is where the millions of vehicles get sold. Right. Okay. So d- different d- design and different use cases for, for batteries. I get it. But just trying to put it in a context of, um, you know, do I invest into a space which is going to very quickly get saturated and therefore, you know, Price falls off, your margins fall off, uh, etc. Can you can you give me um, a sort of sense of what demand looks like going forward, given the design use cases as as we currently understand it? And you know, where are you in terms of the the, the five that are coming coming along? You know, are you at the front of the pack, back of the pack? And you know, obviously with this and you know with this kind of in- integrated 
uh, model that you're, you, you, I think you're um, looking at, you know, does that give you any kind of competitive advantage over them? Yeah. Okay. So let me, let me answer a number of pretty good questions in there. So look, the, the, the market overall has shown there's these huge forecasts, right? So people are like, is it going to happen? Well, if you look at where we have been going already in the last 18, maybe 24 months, uh, the demand is, is, is meeting those types of quite steep growth. We, we actually are slightly worried about it because, you know, it's going to take us a couple more years to get to production. Uh, and we're, we're tied maybe first uh, of, the, of the new entrants to get to market. We don't want them to start to, we don't want them to be choked by a supply problem in, in, you know, Volkswagen and, and, and Ford and, and, um, you know, likes of these mid-market people, they, they need the, the units quite badly. And we can feel that in the discussions that we have with the likes of LG Chem and some of the other battery manufacturers, you know, they're like, when, when can you give us, <clears throat> when can you give us demonstration samples and when can we qualify you? We really, we're going to need this stuff very badly uh, to meet our, our output. And, and, you know, I don't know if you've seen, you know, it obviously is not just battery, but it's a number of factors. But if you've, if you've seen recently that Volkswagen has basically said, we're done for this year. That's it. All our cars are sold. We haven't made them yet, but we can't sell any more. If they could, they would definitely sell more cars because there's there's increasing rapid demand for them uh, out there. And you know, just anecdotally, it was a neighbor of ours in friend of mine in Denmark uh, waited 18 months uh, to receive their Skoda um, EV. I mean, that's a really long wait compared to what we're used to. Uh, that just gives you an idea of how congested the market is. Of course, it's not all batteries, but definitely we will start to, our area will start to impact uh, on, on that. Um, so yeah, and then and the, in terms of the growth profile, it's it's really enormous. It's you know you're talking millions of of, of units uh, that they're going to be necessary. We we would not expect. Well, our, our growth profile is also pretty significant compared to what we've published in the past. So I can't talk too much about the, the feasibility because it's almost there, but we would expect to be expanding our production, but we would still struggle to be more than 20% of demand, I, I think. Uh, of global demand? You're, yeah. Okay. We'd struggle. we struggle to 20%. Right. Okay. Um, well, 20% of global anything is 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 good news i i suspect um but what are the what do you suspect the economics going to look like you know you've you've well, kind of we're pretty much so you were asking about competitive advantage well yeah. being integrated is an enormous competitive advantage because we don't have to move all these empty tons around we there's there's a producer who doesn't they don't make the sulfate yet they make the metal in south africa and we've had a number of discussions with them and they, they just love the fact that we own our they would love to be in our position of owning their own ore uh, and they would move, the, and the first thing they do is they move their uh, facility as close as they could to the ore, um, which we already have. We're we're in a great country, and uh, it's got really good infrastructure. It's got a surplus of power. It's not affected by the whole South Africa situation, and highly skilled workforce. So we don't we don't need to go very far. All of these little things add to our our, our competitive advantage, and it probably puts us right at the bottom of the of the, the cost curve. It's hard to see the cost curve at the moment, mm. but our, where we're forecasting we'd come out is definitely at the bottom of the cost curve. So how do you, so I'm intrigued by, okay, I, I, I get the opaqueness of the market. It's kind of difficult to answer specifically, you know, some of these mm -hmm. questions, but how do you plan a business around an, an ex-China 
business. Because you know, if I look at some of the graphite guys, they're very careful to say to me, look, we don't we don't want to be such an irritant to the Chinese that they decide to make our lives extraordinarily difficult in terms of pricing, price-wise, right? Um, and given that manganese is such a large proportion, like you know, plus ninety percent of the current global um, um, processing or well, processing capacity yeah. is in China, and supply is in China. Um, you've you've kind of got a little delicate dance to do there, really. It, it, it seems it seems to me. Or do you think that because the ex-China uh, demand? side of things will, you know, give you maybe an incentive price, which which will allow you to compete and, and not have to worry about global pricing. Well, we know what the pricing is in uh, in Europe, and it's a bit more in North America. If we put those prices into our model, which we don't, uh, you know, our nav doubles. Uh, so those are pretty hefty. We we're pretty we're quite conservative. We because we were told right from the beginning, don't expect to get paid more than Chinese prices. So we use a kind of Chinese pricing right. model in a way, um, uh, because it's 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 much better for me as the as the senior manager of the business to force my team to be economic in the bits we control, and then if pricing is good, that's just like you know the cherry on the sugar on top or whatever. The, the, the cherry on the top. So if we control those, our part of the business and stay at the bottom quartile, if prices go up, I mean, it's just going to flow straight to the bottom line. And I'm a shareholder too, right? Uh, and so we're going to see much, a significant share price appreciation. But just to come back to your question about China, look, to give you an example of it. So we, there's one very important battery manufacturer that we've been speaking to uh, who we're talking about, you know, potential um, uh, prepayment for some offtake. And they indicated, they they said, look, we'll take 30,000 tons from you uh, of MSM. But if we like your product, uh, our European business would buy 150,000 tons. Well, that's all we produce. That's everything. They buy everything. And they are a significant producer, but no single manufacturer is more than about 20% of the battery market. So that gives you an idea of the scale and scope. And that's in a couple of years when we're in production. That gives you an idea of the scale and scope of... uh, of the, how big the, the market can become and uh, where it's going to grow to. And, and we think that, so our strategy in terms of, of moving our material, marketing our material, is uh, to try and achieve uh, a, a good offtake for maybe a quarter of our material um, where we might give some price incentive uh, to them uh, for the first one. And then everybody who comes after that is going to have to pay up and will reserve maybe 10% 10 or 15% of our material to go into the, it's called the broker market Mm. where we can, so we will supply the spot market to make sure there's a spot price. It's not, not terribly different to, you know, what happened with iron ore 10, 12 years ago when they wanted to create a spot market for it so that you could have, you know, instead of, because, you know, a CRU price or whatever, AMAC price or something like that, that's a panel. They just, ask people, what did you pay last week? That's not the same as spot. We want it that if you are, you know, Panasonic and, or whoever, or British Vault or somebody like S Vault or South Vault, you need a bit more in the spot market that you can actually come and say, I want to buy this week a thousand tons. What's the price? Bam, done, published. Uh, so that we can make this a bit more transparent. Okay, this, this is a kind of important important area because pr- pr- pricing affects margins. Um, 
you know, significantly. And there's lots of ways you can come at this model. So we've spoken to um, Col Colbert producer, um, well, Colbert developer going through a similar process to you at the moment. And we talked about how these conversations go when you're at the when you're at the sort of demonstration plant stage. You've got you know 15, 20 people um, testing product. Um, you then I need to make a decision about well who do you go with. As you say, you can have companies come in and say we'll take everything you've got, right? And you could go, well, let's look at risk mitigation. Does that work for us? Is there, you know, their balance sheet is presumably if it's an OEM significant and the risk is quite low as far as your funders are concerned. Um, but for you, it sounds like you want to try and take advantage of the ability to, um, squeeze out some of the additional margin through the, you know, the spot market, um, that you will try to create yourselves. I mean, can do you think that you as a business can create your your own spot market in, in that way, or is this going to have to be a kind of collective movement from some of the well, some of the other developers or, or, or a couple of? Well, we, look, I mean, we're absolutely we are in the process of creating a, an association of uh, pre-cam manganese uh, producers, okay, so that we can. You know, it's it's no different than in any other, like a gold council or something like that, to to help people understand what demand and supply looks like. Uh, um, have uh, transparency is the most important thing. We want to be absolutely transparent uh, because the more price transparency there is, the better it is for us. It's a smaller uh, um, business or entity compared with a very very large OEMs and and, and what have you. <laughs> but just a little bit of a difference is. You know, there's about five, five or six of us. Uh, there's not 50 of us like there is in lithium. It's, it's a little bit, you know, it's more difficult for them to play um, off against each other. There's only really, quite frankly, right now, two, real, two of us who realistically will get to production. So, the, uh, of course, more will come later. But, you know, some of the discussions we've had with other guys, particularly Graphite, uh, developer who's a little bit further ahead of us, you know, they, he said, look, you, you want to be number one or two in those discussions because number three, four, and five, it's a lot harder with the OIM because they say, well, kind of okay. I've, I kind of covered for my, for my, uh, my supply needs. I, I can give you a little bit of incremental demand. That's about it. So that's, that's why the, you know, we made a number of decisions. Our feasibility is being constrained on the size so we can be done more quickly. We have, you know, we've quadrupled the resource in the last year, gone from whatever it was, 1.3 million at the at the end of 2019 to 5.3 million now. That that's that's like almost four times the, the, the size. And uh, we we would expect, well, I would say, will definitely give us more tons, probably at a higher grade. And we've almost completed the the infill drilling for the reserve. And we've got an exploration area. We'd expect that to increase the 5.2 million tons somewhat as well. So we're getting, we just keep adding incrementally additional tons, but we've constrained it so that we can get the FS done to stay as far as we can out front. Easier for us on a capital basis, easier for us negotiating. Interesting. interesting. Okay. So you, in, in terms of the, the economic studies that you've been through to date and, and probably including the, the next, the feasibility study next, you've deliberately kept the size down to assure yourself, well, give yourself comfort that you may be able to raise the, the capital required. But this is what then a, a modular exercise to, for expansion once the kind of revenues are flowing in, in terms of the design. Cause you, you've, you've kind of just handed over to, um, you mentioned a specialist engineering firm for the construction of the demonstration plant. So Correct. is it a kind of 
cookie cutter modular um, design? Well, look, there's going to be the moment that we finish the feasibility, there's going to be optimization of it. I mean, it's almost started. But that's now. different, right? So the optimization gets you, you know, a few, few percentage points more. But how do you? No, no, but, it, no but it's about the modules. Right. Okay. It's about In three terms of that. Okay. That's what the optimization is about. Gotcha. It'll be about optimizing. When do you go bigger? Like, how soon is it? Do you what do you you know? Do you take your existing plant and you know we you can say for the leach tanks you can have your six that you have now and you can lay foundations for four more, or do you just go we'll put another six right next to it? Mm. That's what the optimization will will start to be about. You know, do okay. you just cook it and put it next to it, or do you just leave extra space to to put make your throughput bigger? I hear you. Okay, okay, so that's that's that, that's fine. Good, good common sense there. Um, with regards to um, the the position, you, you, sorry, how long will that take to 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 build and you actually be pumping out enough um, material that your potential strategic partners can test? Oh, the demonstration. No, the demonstration plan is completely separate from the from the modular design. The demonstration plan simply makes material to qualify. It's not commercial at all. So right. that that's that's to be finished construction by you know by the end of this year and producing yep. in the beginning of next year. Got it. Okay. Okay. So, okay. but that's totally separate from the the full scale plant, which is in the feasibility study. No, I understand that. I understand that. it's a demonstration plant. Um, so you, what I'm saying is you, you, but you will, it will be, it will be producing and throwing off enough material by when? Did you say just now? Uh, early next year. On, right, early next year, and you've got a number of strategic partners lined up to test that that material. And yeah. So, but what will happen before that mm. is so it's not quite. It's a it's a, a ramp if you want to call it that. So we're waiting some final test results. I think they're done today, but I haven't seen them. Mm. That'll be the spec. So we'll give that to all the guys, and they'll all hopefully they'll all come back and say, "Yeah, that's great." Then in about four or five weeks' time, we'll say, "Right, we've made two pucks of this size, you know, whatever two kilograms." We'll chop them into pieces and send them to them, and they'll say, "Right, we're going to get these independently tested, so that this spec here." We know that our one that we tested looks exactly like yours. And then they'll say, right, when are you going to make 10 kilograms and we'll make some button batteries and we'll, you know, so it's a, it's a, it's all steps over the rest of this year. And eventually when we get to demonstration plant, they'll say, okay, send it to me. And I'm actually going to make full scale batteries and put them in my ID for my Renault Zoe, and I'm going to drive them around a track for 10,000 kilometers and see what happens to them. Right, that's that's what I was getting at. I just want to understand those, those baby steps uh, to to that yeah. point because at that point, and it's the interesting thing you just said to me was like you, you will design it to spec. So, so there's one spec. When you don't have demand, there's there's only there's, there's only one HP MSM Bing output. Because normally OEMs say, well, yeah, well, batch manufacturers say, look, we, we need it to our spec in terms of purity levels and, and, and so forth. Here's, there's, there's one product. Is that right? Yeah. Well, we may have slightly made a rod for ourselves, our own back. And we said, we'll meet, we'll meet the, we'll meet the most difficult of everybody's spec. Now that we'll see. I mean, that might be a bit of a rod for our own back, but if we can make it, you know, there's this there's this thing called WTI or Brent, right? Well, we can, if we can be the spec everybody benchmarks against, yeah, that's what, that would be great. Right. Okay. Okay. And then at, at the point at which you either you um, I don't know, agree with some strategic partners, one, two, three, however many of those, um, you will produce spec their spec. 
presumably? And would that be three different lines required? Or again, would that, no, we'll, all we'll three have to pick yours and yours alone? Yeah. Okay. Wow. Okay. It'll, it'll give them flexibility because they will be, they sh well, we know in, okay, so the, the spec is divided, it's 16 elements or something like that. The most important ones um, are the sort of transition metals. So nickel, cobalt, uh, zinc, chrome, and then there's slightly non trend like copper and lead and, and things like that. We know on all of those ones, we are extremely low, like PPM, low PPM level. So we're great on all of those. Then, so that's the metals kind of the ones you don't want turning up in your in your cathode, and you certainly don't want them coming up, turning up metallically, because they're the ones that cause dendrites and all those kind of problems, right? Then the second set of ones is. Uh, <coughs> is poisonous and radioactives, uh, uh, cadmium, boron, and selenium, because they're poisonous. Uh, and if you have a fire in your battery and things like that, you don't want, you know, you don't want gaseous cadmium being inhaled by um, bystanders to an accident, things like that. So on those, we're extremely low as well. Then the final one is, is which has been the most difficult for us, is the soft metals, potassium, sodium, things like that. Um, which they aren't terribly fussed about. They don't really inhibit, they don't inhibit the battery uh, from functioning and they're not poisonous, uh, but they also need them low enough. So th those are the ones that we've been the last of the while or whatever, you know, getting rid of in, you know, up until we had the, made that announcement recently that we were pretty, pretty good with all of them. So it, it gives them what, what they might need is flexibility in some of the other areas. If somebody's sending them a, a cobalt, um, sulfate that's got 50 ppm of copper, they can blend it with our two, right? And bring it down to the 25 or the 10 or whatever they need, right? So they, we can probably, well, we're a small company, we'll establish ourselves and then we'll start to say you got to pay a premium. Right. Okay. Understood. 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 Um, so so to, again, just in terms of that, the, the kind of the path forward, um, so I'm getting, sorry, getting into kind of the, the, the weeds of it here, but it's, it's kind of interesting the way that, yeah, the way the fine. companies think about it. Um, the, these things. So if, if we look at the feasibility study, which, which, which is coming up, um, you've, you've got some decisions about, you've got some, you want to focus on the kind of the, the economics and the, and the technical and how you actually produce, um, uh, the, the, the product. But with the feasibility study, you also sort of need to talk to the, the market, right? And sig signal things. So you have signaled that, this feasibility study will be, I think the phrase thrown at me was uh, bigger than the PEA and I'm not quite sure what bigger in the context of some of the questions that it means. But, um, it, you know, in terms of the resource, do you need to say, well, look, the resource is, 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 is bigger. The economics are better. The, the margins are better. I mean, what, what, what are you focused on for the feasibility study and who, who are you aiming that at? Well, look, that, there's a couple of interesting points to deal with there, okay? The first is we kind of have suppressed our pricing regime from the beginning, okay? We're seeing a massive expansion in price, uh, but that's also being slightly offset by uh, an increase in OPEX and uh, some increase in capex so we've got a doubling of price compared to more or less compared to what we had before we, we've got some increase in opex and some increase in capex um and those are split between inflation driven and probably just underestimating on our on our part uh, three years ago what what it actually took to make this stuff 
e- either way, we probably end up with the same kind of 60, 58 to 65% margin, something like that. Can't, I, I don't know yet because you know, we're finalizing OPEX and CAPEX at the moment, but we will have a very significant uh, margin going forwards. But in terms of making it bigger, look, there's no question uh, the, the resource has grown considerably since what we, uh, we theoretically pushed through the mill in the PEA, it's probably double, but it needs to double again after that. But the work, there's, you have to do metallurgical test work on everything to be able to get it to feasibility level study. Outside of the, the main Cahill body, we haven't finished the, you know, the actual metallurgical test work on the extension, even though it's exactly the same. It still has to be done. So we constrained the size. So it is bigger, but we've constrained it. Uh, and we'll do that immediately afterwards. Okay. The, the MET test work is actually going ongoing, but it just takes you know, weeks and months to do it rather than delay the FS because the big, the biggest question we thought the market had about us was, does it actually work? Can they make the product? Right? So we're answering that and it's bigger and we're answering that question and we'll give you some nice economics and then, but I think we'll probably show in the, um, so 43101 has a very specific, uh, set of sections you have to follow in order to publish. And there's one nice little section, section 24, where you can publish other additional information and we'll probably give a high level economic view on the whole deposit so that there's a bit of an arm wave in there. So you can look what it looks like for 5.3 million, not 2 million. Right. Okay. Interesting. No, but I think you're right. It's like show this thing works, show there's a route to market, show there's, you know, you understand what the financing needs to look like. And maybe there's some conversations that are being had or can be had or, We'll, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll be hard to, to, to cover that off. So, um, so just, just, just on, while we're talking about money, um, you raised some money in December, about 11 and a half million bucks. Um, how's cash now? Where's it take you through to? We've got $17.2 million in cash at the moment. So we're well, we're very well funded at the moment. But as a, you know, <laughs> we've got a lot of capital in front of us. So whenever the market, whenever there's something interesting in the market that somebody wants to offer us additional capital, uh, of course, we're open to those kind of discussions. You know, we're not very happy with where the share price is at the moment, but you know what? Um, prepays are non-dilutive. So we we definitely are having those kind of discussions. They take time uh, and we're not, we're not in a terrible rush for additional capital, but yeah, additional capital when you can get it is much better than, you know, when you have to have it. Uh, so we, we always, we always look at what's available out there, but you know, we we're almost starting to get grown up enough to actually have uh, a weighted average cost of capital model and think about you know w- which component of the capital is better for the shareholders. Um, it's it's quite interesting the, the transition from a purely equity finance business to to a, a variety of other types of uh, um, uh, of capital provision. So we, we're in that phase. And there's some pretty, and you know, and then it, and then it starts. You start to have these discussions. We have a number of discussions with other financiers who are more strategic. They're they're sort of like, we love the project. Can we give you five million dollars now, and then so that we can give you fifty million in nine or ten months? Yeah, you know, and then it starts to be, okay. Well, what does it, what does it, what are the additional costs that you want with that? What are the kickers and the warrants and the, you know all that kind of stuff that they want alongside that placed against what would be a very positive message to the market saying not only is the feasibility done 
but he's a real financier who believes that we can build this thing. Yes, yeah, interesting. I, I guess that's hard back to your, your my previous um, profession was sitting at the other side of the fence, which with, with the kind of the kind of prepay or the structured finance, it, it, it's a lot more fun in a seller's market. So, I mean, can you just maybe just for, for the sake of people listening to this, kind of. Um, you've analyzed some, some of the variables there with regards to, you know, prepay, um, and some of those kind of structures that you, 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 um, can put in place in terms of the documentation. But talk, talk about pr- the pricing upon which that's based and, and, and the timeline from, say, now, if there's conversations happening now versus if they're happening when you're running a little bit closer to the end of your 17 million bucks. So, you know, what's the timing look like for you and, what does that do for your negotiating power during that uh, time frame? Well, I would say now is I mean now is better, right? Because we have lots of cash on our on our side, and we do see a number of these these types of offers. But you know, there's a quid pro quo to that, and they're they're looking at it going. You know, I'd say two thirds of them say must have feasibility completed, and one third of them are like. We see in, they're in the end, they're inside the data room, they've done signed the NDA and all that. And they're like, we're, we're happy this is going to work. You know, this, we're, we're happy with the risks that we're taking on this. So then it, it comes down to some other, you know, uh, items, particularly on the prepay side. It's like, well, who are you? Uh, what's your credit uh, like? And what are your CPs going to be on this? Um, uh, and, you know, what, how, much are, how much do you want? And, how, and what are we providing to you uh, in, in terms of that? So... Uh, and the most difficult one, which nobody, everybody's dancing around at the moment, is, you know, h- how do we, how are we going to price this? Now we haven't got that far in those discussions yet, but my suspicion is that somebody in the Chebol in Korea, or the equivalent in China, or, you know, in the whatever it is the oversight board of the uh, um, uh, 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 in Germany, will look at it and go, are you kidding me? Like. How much of this stuff are we going to buy? Sixty million dollars a year. Give them five million now. Give them ten. Whatever it is, just give them it compared to what else we're spending. The the fifty four billion that we've bet on making the the ID three and four and five. You better not run out of. We better have manganese. So here's fifty million dollars. Go and give ten to everybody. We'll see. We're coming to those very very interesting discussions like right now. Yeah, I think I think so, and we're seeing that with other commodities um, too. In the context of um, you know OEMs and battery manufacturers, it's in in the context of the total spend and uh, time invested in terms of the, the design. It's, it's it's hard to thrift out at the last minute if you can't secure um, uh, supply for sure. So interesting times for you on, on that front. Um, okay, so. You, so on the, on the kind of money side, on the conversation side, I understand it. I, and, and, you know, forgive me for not kind of diving into the, the project proper here, but, you know, given your past pilot phase and you're now sort of into demonstration, demonstration plant stage, I, I think I can be forgiven for not wanting to go through the kind of Botswana jurisdictional risk or, 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 um, product or technical risk at, at, at the moment. Um, just, just again, if, if I may kind of nail you down on some of this, the, the conversations, which you're having today, um, are you looking at Europe, given the premium you think you can get there, or are you looking at the US, given the extended premium that you think you can get from that that market? Because um, typically, African projects seem to get um, 
a lot of attention from China and they come along with the money and companies tell me, oh, we don't, we're not going to take Chinese money, turn around and take Chinese money. So where's your head at with regards to how this thing gets actually financed going forward? Let's divide that up. So we're looking at primarily from, from a supply chain perspective, we are primarily looking at Europe, Korea, and Japan. Okay, not not so much in China. Um, obviously, uh, CATL is very interesting. I mean, are they Chinese or are they European? Whatever. I mean, yes, absolutely. If if we sell to their plant in Poland, uh, it can go to Poland. Um, but uh, you know, we're not really spending a lot of time with the rest of the Chinese market. Um, we're, we're we're because and it's mostly driven by ESG. To be honest, uh, the most important is your carbon footprint. Ours is going to be very, very low. We we have our Minvaro. We were lucky that we started working with Minvaro like two and a half years ago when we pretty much couldn't afford them, uh, and now they seem to be the choice, everybody's choice. But so we, you know, they've done a lot of work. We look like we're going to have probably the best uh, carbon footprint in the industry, bar one other maybe, and 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 that actually surprisingly has trumped some of the spec. So you can be over by 10 ppm in somewhere, and they're like, that's fine because your carbon footprint is so fabulous. We'll blend it away if, if that's a problem. So you know, that's, that's the first thing. The second thing is you asked, they're, just, they're too far behind at the moment in terms of their development. Now, they might catch up. They're, you know, they, they don't have a permitting process like you have in, in, in Europe, so they might catch up. But for the moment, they're just not far enough along to be commercially ready to start going, I need X tons, you know, it's the same as we, we spoke to Northrop maybe three years ago and they literally said to us, we're not worried about manganese. We right now we're only discussing cobalt three years later. And they're like, okay, this is how much we'd like, you know, the, 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 the U S businesses seem to still be at that kind of not up the, not up the, the curve enough to really be there. But that's on the supply chain side. Now they probably will provide some uh, some capital, so we can use that to, you know, kind of segue into the capital discussion. We absolutely do not seem to need to have any uh, um, Chinese capital. There's far more than enough capital that is being kind of waved at us. I don't want to say offered; it's not quite right, but waved at us uh, from the traditional Western capital provision mechanisms, you know, wh- whether it be equity, whether it be, uh, you know, uh, royalty stream, even, even bank and ECA across the full spectrum of capital. You know, I mean, George is probably not on this call because SockGen wants to talk to us again. I mean, they talked to us two weeks ago, but nothing has changed, but they still want to talk to us again because they're very interested in what's happening. And it's the same with BNP and, and, and Standard Chart and a number of them. And, and they're the, by far and away the slowest part of the market. But that gives you an idea of, you know, there there's, there's definitely seems to be enough provision. Right, okay. And do you think that you need to kind of work on the, the scaling part of this story, the, the, the modular bit, we, we talked about it a little bit today, because the thing, you know, you're setting out whatever, 75 million um, Canadian today, um, yet, the, the discussion we're having is around a much bigger market, much bigger opportunity, much bigger um, um, portion of the, the global um, supply. 
Yeah, the market's not rewarding you for that. It's been a fairly erratic year for well for you and well and, and more recently for lo- lots of people. It's, it's been a very negative time for the last 10, 12 weeks or so. What, what, what's the kind of trigger moment that will that will help the market understand the scale of the opportunity, the margin of the opportunity in front of you? Is is it getting the demonstration plant built and actually throwing out some of these uh, test modules, the test products? I mean, where, where do you think that comes from? I, I mean, I was going to be flipping and say I've heard of this um, company called Crux, and I believe that's one of the uh, the trigger points for. You know, no, but it is, you know, I mean, all joking aside, we need to get the story out there and people need to understand it, uh, that where we are. And I, I think, it, does it, you know, I've been in the market in a long time, so view, why do stocks start to run when they do? Sometimes you've been beating the drum for a while and, and it starts to run. You're like, well, nothing has changed from six months ago, but now the stock is going up. I don't know why, but it just does. But we we just need to continue to tell people where we are. No doubt about it. They want to see the feasibility. They want to see what the capital is, what the opex is, and where's your product. Um, you know that's not, <coughs> excuse me, not very far off, and uh, we'll get to that. And I would hope that then there's some very stock specific um, uh, stuff out there. You know we have uh, some 35 cent warrants that are uh, expiring in the not too distant future. I expect that once we get through that and people have seen what's happened, the stock will start to appreciate. 